Hello, good afternoon everybody and welcome to the third uh, official IS podcast already. Um, my name is Olivier, as you guys might know. Next to me is David, uh, Vladimir Hello, too. And um, today we have a special guest in our uh, podcast. It's um, our um, beloved professor of the Belarus, Ukraine and, um, and Moldova class uh, since the fall of the USSR. Uh, it's Ivana Reichardt. Uh, welcome, uh, Professor. Very nice to have you here. Hello, Oliver. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. It's fantastic to have you here speaking with us right now. Um, I know that we, we spoke a bit previously about doing this podcast, and um, it, it became a very interesting thing for us that we really, really wanted to be able to have this conversation with you. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to talk uh, a bit about everything with um, uh, with our professor, uh, if I can call you Ivana, mm -hmm. uh, for now. Um, we're going to talk with Ivana about all kinds of stuff about her, um, mainly about her activities here, but also about a bit of things that are connected to our uh, class materials that we have. And we hope it's going to be a very interesting interview for you guys. So uh, let's start, I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Uh, professor, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, for the listeners, give us a brief overview of, uh, well, you, you, your career and how you got here. Yeah, who um, you are. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, as, as you know, because I teach your class, I, I teach um, a class called uh, Ukraine, Belarus and Moldova since the end of the USSR. I've been teaching this class for the fourth year here at uh, IRIS and I've been enjoying this a great deal. But how I got here, I actually, I'm not a full-time professor. I, I have history with the Yagila, educational history with the Jagiellonian University. I was here a student of English literature and later political science and I did my PhD here. But I actually work at the magazine called New Eastern Europe which is um, headquartered here in Krakow, uh, but we're distributed worldwide and we actually have, um, we cover, of course, the region that is that was part of the Soviet Union, um, the states that, that were once part of the Soviet Union. Um, but uh, so, as I said, we're distributed worldwide, so you can buy us um, in bookshops in, um, in the Netherlands, in the UK, in the US, Australia, you name it. Um, and we have a website uh, where students can actually also try to their first steps in journalism. So um, I encourage you to check it out. And you can write to the editors if you have an idea for an article, a book review, a film review, whatever you would like. Um, it's also a good field um, for some training for future careers. That's amazing. And for all of you listening right now, if you haven't used the New Eastern Europe magazine for uh, research support when writing your papers, you are messing up. It is a very highly informative <laughs> magazine for this purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, how, may I ask how big how big is the magazine right now? Like, uh, I mean, uh, it's actually the only magazine if you think about magazines about Eastern Europe mm -hmm. uh, or this direction. It's the only magazine I can think of. So I don't know. Do you have any, how, how big are you in the market? Well, you know, t times are tough now for magazines because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, we used to have our distribution in London and we just received uh, sad information that they are being uh, probably bought out by a different firm. So we'll see what the future is. But uh, we used to produce 5,000 issues per, um, per, uh, per issue, 5,000 copies. Um, now we're down to 3,000, but the good news is we are selling more online. 
so more more people are interested online these sales are going if you're asking big how big our team is you would be a little surprised because it's actually three people only what okay <laughs> and interns yes and we highly value our interns who are usually students um so yes it is a grassroots uh kind of um, labor of love um, type of a magazine. Uh, but we've been around for 10 years already. Um, and it is, it's true, it's a miracle. We have, I think it is our determination, our passion and uh, devotion to, to, this, uh, uh, to this region that we are um, producing a magazine that you can find on bookshelves right next to Foreign Affairs. This is the biggest compliment to us when we, always, when we get our, these kind of pictures from our readers. Because this is this happens quite often that uh, our readers our readers are also very passionate. So we're not a kind of a typical magazine that you know from you know those big scale mainstream um, with huge budgets and commercials. We are a nonprofit, so actually we do have ads, but uh, our ads are either um, kind of a barter that we exchange with other magazines or um, or sold at a very low price. Um, so, so we are a, a very different type of um, organization. Absolutely. Well, that's very, very cool to to hear that you are such a small team and yet have so many, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so much production of the magazine, which mm. is really, really cool. I think I got my first copy of this magazine uh, at a dentist shop here oh. in Krakow. Yeah, they had they had a bunch of issues of them on the table. And I was oh, reading, nice. I think it was the one on Russia's hybrid warfare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the the lady at the front desk uh, basically saw I was super into it. She said, yeah, take it with you if you want. And I was Very like, cool. oh, thank you. <laughs> this is amazing. Didn't know that the dentist in Krakow. Yeah, yeah they, had, they had five issues there. And I, I, I just got super into the one on hybrid warfare. So For me, it was my, uh, my Canadian brother-in-law, actually, who uh, who came wow. to me. And he said, hey, you, you're studying or you're doing something with, uh, with Eastern Europe, right? For your... Uh, or with with Russia for your studies, um, maybe you can read this. It's really cool. So he gave me, I think, three or four magazines, and uh, I've been really enjoying them so far. So um, thank you. Very happy Great to with that. hear. We are trying to be, you know, to provide this fresh look at the region, uh, because as we talked a little bit before, um, the region in number one in Western in the Western world, there's very little information still. There is a huge knowledge gap between the East and the West, yeah? Uh, and we have a situation when people from the East know much more about the West than people from the West know about the East. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you can confirm before yeah. you came yeah. here, yeah? Yeah. Um, and this is true, it's, it starts with education, of course, like in, um, let's say in Ukraine, in uh, Russia, in Poland before, we had Western literature, for example, in high school, in our curricula. Um, you don't have the same in, in the Netherlands, yeah? You, you, you don't have many Ukrainian writers or, or zero no, in no. your absolutely yeah. not in America <laughs> <laughs> yes no <laughs> um, but at the same time uh, so this is one thing we wanted to sort of bridge this gap of knowledge between the, the region and, and the outside world we also wanted to put the region in a more global context to show that whatever is happening, for example, right now in uh, in Eastern Ukraine matters to all of us, that these are not, uh, you know, some remote areas uh, that Moldova's. Uh, yes, we know Moldova is a country that many Europeans cannot even point to at the map. 
on the map. But at the same time, we do know that Moldova matters. Why? Because there's so many Moldovans in the EU. They live and work in the EU. So when I talk to people, I always say, you might think Moldova will never make it to the EU. But guess what? Moldova is already in the EU because so many Moldovans are in the EU. So we try to show this little different perspective to, to change people's thinking about this region um, and also free people from stereotypes that this is this all this is this whole gray area of uh, this homo sovieticus or God knows what. Yeah, Oops. absolutely. No, I, the education uh, point is incredibly important, I think, especially mm -hmm. for um, my region and my education, I guess you could say, in America. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I, m me and most of my friends, even, uh, we went to very good schools, we have a very good university, but there's just this huge institutional knowledge gap when mm -hmm. it comes to uh, Eastern Europe, especially post-USSR. Uh, um, so, <laughs> education is so important because, you know, you can say things like, oh, I'm going to Poland, and everybody's mm -hmm. like, Poland for a lot of people back home for me is the edge of the map you know yeah. after, after that it's like oh that's the you know the wildlands or something like that even trickier when you come from georgia and you say i'm from georgia <laughs> yeah. say this yeah. in the u.s yeah yeah, yeah absolutely uh, I, I it's a very unfortunate for uh people from georgia i this country i think because uh the most of the time that uh americans are at least people from you know my region and my hometown they've heard of it but only in context of conflict with russia Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you Abkhazia, know, yeah, Abkhazia, mm -hmm. and uh, or this, I guess you could almost say it's the same with uh, Ukraine or with mm -hmm. Belarus. You know, everything is known in relationship to Russia via conflict mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. collusion. That's a little bit of the fault of the mainstream media, uh, which you know, bad news sells. Yes, so when the mm -hmm. war, a war takes place or conflict or revolution, uh, uh, mainstream media exploits that um, beyond imagination. I, unfortunately, I work in the media and I have no illusions, um, and became very skeptical towards uh, news sometimes. Um, but at the same time, um, when something positive happens, that that doesn't look good yes so that that doesn't give the clicks uh, online Absolutely. yeah no, no international newspaper is gonna is gonna publish uh, it's a second year of economic growth in ukraine exactly um, yeah or ukraine has just produced this amazing film or has a new artist um that's worth recognizing yeah this artist has to really win something huge to to make it to mainstream media so we actually don't compete with mainstream media to be honest um even when there is such a thing as a revolution um because they, we have uncomparable budgets uh, that's number one and we actually let them go and and have these five minutes of their somewhat shallow analysis <laughs> but believe that our readers are the ones who follow processes and these journalists from the cnn or the bbc you name it that they have to read new eastern europe when they're on their way to, <laughs> was, to the was, revolution <laughs> to catch up for what they were missing i was absolutely about to ask you that do the mainstream media journalists end up citing or uh reading your material in order to <laughs> reading yes uh because we are sometimes even in touch uh there are some which subscribe but not the bbc or not not those giants but for example internazionale i think it's an italian uh, oh, yeah yeah mm -hmm, uh, magazine and they have been subscribing for seven years now so i'm hoping people are reading there so I, I have actually a burning question. How did you come to your interest in... How did you get interested in, in this Belarus, Ukraine, Moldova mm. region? Um, or in general, maybe whole Eastern Europe? 
Yeah, so as I told you, I, I actually studied English when I was a student. Um, I'm the child of this, uh, you know, transformation period. I mean, uh, maybe not even child, I was a child before. But uh, this is the time when um, my uh, sort of um, intellectual yeah, uh, maturity started forming. And at that time, we maybe today we don't want to admit it but we all somewhat believed in the end of history but uh, what it means we of course questioned the fact that uh, history ends we knew it didn't but we believed that um, democratization is on its way that everything is going in a positive direction so I'm definitely the idealist of the 90s in this way um, but we were I was personally also more Western oriented person because from Poland uh, this is where the attractive um, light was coming from um you know the east was still somewhat gray and we wanted to free ourselves from that um then i relocated for personal reasons to the united states and when i came back um i i had some experience with american journalism actually with foreign policy magazine and uh, I met uh, my friends who are journalists and they were covering this region. And they they have a Polish edition called Nowa Europa Wschodnia. And that, at that time they wanted to open an English edition. At the time actually I was doing my PhD, had little kids. I said, no, no way. Um, but uh, th that friend of ours is, uh, he doesn't take no as an answer. <laughs> so basically he said, this is when the editorial meeting is coming. This is the place you are coming here. Uh, and I thought I would go, but still say no. But, you know, when you come and then you are assigned a task already and there's <laughs> no discussion. So I really quickly had to learn about these countries, to be honest. It was 10 years ago, but as I joined, I, my knowledge was not so high at the time. But um, but being part of a team and reading articles and reading books um, you start and start traveling there, because that's the key too without going and seeing and meeting people, um, you have this uh, desktop research and that's not the same. Absolutely, mm -hmm. because do you speak Ukrainian or Russian? Russian. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I understand I Ukrainian. I should not be saying it out loud, but <laughs> I, <laughs> this is my dream. My New Year's revolution is to, to learn Ukrainian. I have a couple books, but... Um, time it's the, that's the problem yeah. Yeah. absolutely absolutely same for me yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah in my in my lessons in my classes uh so you mentioned before that you have a, a more of a sociology background um as opposed to uh like our program is very very heavy on like i, I guess you could say uh political philosophy and mm -hmm. such uh so how would you what, what are the main frustrating differences and what are the uh, main uh things that I don't know, attracted you to more of that field of study? Mm. Well, I'm a child of two sociologists, so I sort of, you know, <laughs> with mother's milk, I, I, I probably absorb some theories. No, joke, uh, joking, of course. <laughs> but uh, yes, I, I was raised by two sociologists, so I heard about the importance of social groups uh, since my childhood, for sure. Jagiellonian mm. um, traditionally focuses on a history, but formal administrative structures. Um, I think, of course, uh, I, I'm not undermining and underestimating the importance of those but I think it's not enough. I think to have a fuller picture, you need more. Um, that's why in our classes, we do talk, as you mentioned, a lot about the society. And I think with understanding the post-Soviet space, this is the key, more important than the structures, because we know that the structure, structures are still the post-Soviet post structures, uh, corrupt, failing. Um, so it would be a very wrong uh, angle to, to look at Ukraine mm -hmm. through 
the prism of formal structures is um, the change is somewhere else the change is in the people and the same is with the, why so many people did not uh, foresee the collapse of the Soviet Union yeah because they did not see what the people what was happening in people's of course you cannot see what's happening in people's minds but um, but they were looking at the uh, new Union treaty that we also discuss in the uh, in the classes that how Gorbachev was trying to restructure the the, the Soviet Union and not that there was this new ferment uh, within the society uh, taking place. So I, I stress this and I also stress culture, as you know, um, mm -hmm. because I, as I probably said it in class, when you look at artists, these are the first um, individuals, they, they have this oversensitivity, yes? Um, and they notice things that we do not. So I think art comes first, then comes sociology, then comes political science. This is how I see it in, in, in regards to reaction to, to changes within the society. Absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the um, it was Chinese philosopher who said this, uh, but he said, um, if you let me write the music for a nation, I care not who writes the laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, very And true. I, I definitely, I really like your point there because um, it's not Confucius, right? Or is it? <laughs> I, or Sun Tzu? I, or? I confess, I, I, I don't quite remember, and I didn't want to give a name and be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it, it's especially very, very important because, uh, you know, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I heard it said in one of our classes that the Soviet Union ceased, it collapsed when people stopped believing in the mm -hmm. Soviet Union. And I, I, at the time, I thought that was a, a very, very powerful statement. You know, if you look at uh, like the Ukrainian revolution or uh, the current uh, Belarusian um, uh, civil unrest slash mm -hmm. attempted revolution, mm -hmm. I guess protests. Um, protests uh, is you know when people stop believing in those structures. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you're in school, you know, you 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 get data, names, dates of important people. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's the culture, it's the people within that culture that determine the course of history. Mm -hmm. And that's the joy of research, too, because you get to know the real people. I mean, studying structures for me, it's um, not so human, yeah, a little no. more boring, whereas um, getting to know people, understanding how they feel, it also helps you with your own development. You, you kind of um, undergo this permanent development, yes, because you have your own limitation. Your culture is your limitation, your language is your limitation. Um, your previous education is your limitation and you have to overcome it and start seeing these societies as they really are. Um, not so easy, but um, gives you a lot of satisfaction once you feel that you are reaching a little bit, so, yeah, the truth. So, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, this leads me to a question, I guess, uh, that um, what is your favorite moment, like your favorite memory from the, doing this research and this... Yeah, uh, the sociological, you know, traveling and meeting people and engaging in the culture. Mm. For me, the best moment was I was doing, I think I told you in class, these three Ukrainian revolutions, and we did over 100 uh, interviews. I personally did around 25. Um, so talking to these people who took part in the revolutions and their oral histories, oral testimonies about them was um, unforgettable experience. Uh, when you do this kind of research, you have to keep in mind that you're dealing with memory. This is not really facts, but at the same time, seeing people emo people's emotions when they recall um, history and their participation in it and their part in it is, um, is really enriching. So, uh, as you said there, memory is not necessarily fact, but memory in a very real way, because to them, 
and if to anybody, you know, your memory says dictates reality essentially. Mm-hmm. So if, if they remember things a certain way, memory is dictated more like uh, by emotion and mm-hmm. by uh, the the passion of the moment or the fear of the moment. Um, so I think that again, yeah, that's a very very important thing to remember because uh, uh, an institution could be viable, the taxes could be coming in, but if the people remember it in a bad way, or if the people have a bad feeling towards it, then that organization or institution will inevitably crumble. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, I also want to ask because now we have your most pleasant moment, but what uh, did you also have like moments that were really uh, maybe? surprising for you or touching while doing this research in 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 some countries um like what are some shocking moments for you to, some shocking realizations that you that you had during your research in like those countries you're talk, you're trying to reach uh, talk about the negative parts yeah yeah maybe negative or like um things that in general that that really surprised you that that you were like wow i didn't see it this way yet or um mm. like some perspectives for example okay. from people uh when we take this research, the three Ukrainian revolutions, for me, the biggest shock was that um, Ukrainians, um, when they, especially during the last revolution, which we called um, the Revolution of Dignity or Euromaidan. Yeah, the first part I would call Euromaidan. And uh, so you, you know that the word Euro is there. Yeah, Europe, especially. And and uh, in the West, especially, we per- we presented this as a, this Ukrainian aspiration to the West, to Europe. Yeah, so of course I could not ask about Europe in uh, in my interviews, and uh, believe it or not, this was something that my um, speakers, my interlocutors, had the least um, reflection on. What is Europe to them? Um, so I was asking them, so who were you against? Yeah, so this was super easy: Russia, corruption, Yanukovych. Yeah, so this showed that evil um, is very easy to define yeah and this is uh, uh, Popper uh, used to define this in his uh, open society and its enemies that evil is something tangible it's something we can catch but uh, good or um, yeah something good is sometimes an abstract um, some uh, an abstract idea and, and here so when you would ask okay so what were you for yeah and uh, when we reached Europe, I would also ask the question, so what is Europe for you? And here I mm. actually got very little answers. Yes, um, very undefined, um, better lifestyle, um, dignity, maybe dignity. But when you talked about dignity, um, this was already undefined. Yes, mostly higher economic um, standards. Yes. I think they, they are maybe led by the views that they that they see um, like the idealiz- uh, idealization, basically, of, of Europe. And I think mm. that's also happening in, for example, when you ask someone from from um, from Africa, like mm. a refugee, um, why do you want to go to Europe? To get mm. rich. Mm. To, to to get rich. And they, they have this also this view, but we also have it in their way, of course, in the other side, uh, that they think when they are in Europe or when they come to a European country, that the money will flow and uh, everything will come out of itself. It's the yeah. promised land. Yeah, yeah. It's the, and I think it's However, also with America, for example, for I a agree. lot of people. However, with the Ukrainian revolution, the thing was that we were saying that Ukrainians were, you know, um, giving up their life for European values. We were using the term yeah. European values. And when you started talking about these European values, um, they 
did not. Did <laughs> or, or I don't want like to. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I don't want to portray the Ukrainians uh, this way. Yes, uh, but course, this, uh, this yeah. just shows um, that it's very easy to know what you're against, yeah, and yeah. it's much harder to define what you're for. I, I, that again, that's a brilliant statement. I really like that because um, it's it's very easy to just be in opposition to someone or something and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, the, you see it a lot in modern politics, you know, all over the world right now, especially in Europe and especially in America. I think where people are, they're taking their political stances. Uh, we oppose mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, but they don't necessarily think you know this. Wait, this is what I stand for. This is my internal values. This is what I'm aiming towards. This is what I am aspiring towards. Because mm-hmm. um, it's it's very easy to stand and fight against something that you don't like, mm-hmm. but it's much harder to stand and pick yourself up and move in a direction of a of a harder future that mm-hmm. you can't see. That's what that's how populism works, of course, because populism they, they never come with the good news. They never Absolutely. say, Hey, this is going mm-hmm. well, we have this plan. Mm-hmm. If I compare it, for example, with the populist party in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. they are only spreading negativity. Mm-hmm. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But they would never either admit that something is going right mm-hmm. or they would never say like uh, hey we should do this. They they only have like come with the problems but they never offer a real solution. Mm-hmm. How it should be. It's very hard to get people to vote for the boring candidate with the draft yes. who sits there with an effective tax plan and foreign policy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, <laughs> talked, we talked about this during class too. How Yushchenko lacked charisma. How the nice guys in Belarus uh, were never voted for. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a very complicated situation. But uh, yeah, back, back to um, back to Eastern Europe. Um, what we were talking before, um, that I think if, if you talk about the stereotypes, if I uh, if I see maybe maybe to round off uh, as a good point, I think maybe a recommendation to everybody is just go there and and leave your leave your prejudices behind. Um, and that was for for example for me one of my main reasons why I went to to Poland, even though mm-hmm. Poland is not as right. you can't call, you can't compare it anymore to mm-hmm. for example Ukraine or to Belarus uh, in a lot of cases. But still, I felt like I really want to study something uh, related to Eastern Europe and what is better than being at least in the region. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Ukraine now twice, and I must say it has su- surprised me in so many ways. Um, and I can recommend can recommend it to everybody. Of course, you you go there with a the mind. You you know that you're not going to Spain or France for a casual holiday with a, where you can have nice food and wine every evening. With of course you can have nice food and wine in, in Ukraine, but you know what I mean. You yeah. go with a whole different mindset yeah. there. But I think that that's the beauty of it that you that you go there and you experience something completely different. I couldn't agree more, Oliver. And I, I what I would recommend go and uh, open up all your senses and enjoy. The smells, the tastes, the the touching of, of I don't know fabrics uh, that you can buy, um, and yeah, meet people. That's that that's the recommendation number one. And and o- overcome the barrier. Yes, once you start meeting people, you will never look at a country in a um, homogeneous way, which oftentimes is presented by Western media, Poland including. Yes, uh, I'm not defending um, bad things that are taking place in Poland. But for example, when I look at Western media, I often see that it shows that whole Poland is uh, populistic, nationalistic, etc. By living here and studying here, you know, it's much more complex than that. And the same goes to to, towards Ukraine. Yes, or towards the same was with especially Belarus. Uh, Now it's changing with the 
um, the last protest, but people were like, oh, we, we were so shocked seeing these women uh, in the streets in Belarus during protests. Yes, everybody thought Belarus was this um, cemented uh, Soviet society, everybody supporting Lukashenko. Absolutely. Um when I was in uh, in in Minsk two years ago, um, the first uh, I was there with a friend. We would just go there to 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 go on the drinking holiday, basically. Mm. The two of us just go because we both have have a passion for uh, for this region, um, and we went there. And the first thing in the club, the first question was, "Where are you from?" Second question was, "Why the." Yeah. are you in Belarus mm. what are you doing here and the third question was what do you think of Lukashenko because we hate him and I was very scared to express my opinion I, yeah. I already yeah. like felt yeah. like a dark cloud above my head <laughs> the cameras looking at me and I was like very reserved with expressing my opinion but I realized there that so many people yeah. are just so tired of his yeah. his regime and of course in the club you don't meet the average Belarusian uh, yeah. Belarusian person but at least the young people that I've met, they were all very, very agreeing with each other. They all want a different uh, wind in Belarus. Um, <laughs> David, do you have any last thing to say or shall we? Because I think it's uh, it's time to uh, to thank uh, oh, there's, there's our there's professor. There's so many things, but uh, absolutely, we, we do have time constraints. Uh, I think we should thank you very, very much yeah. for being here. Thank uh, you. Wish everyone a, a very... Uh, Happy New Year and uh, Christmas. Absa absolutely. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a great holiday period. And uh, we're seeing each other soon after uh, after uh, New Year's Eve. In the new year, yeah, let's absolutely. say. Uh, and Professor, do you have any final uh, thoughts or comments that you would like to I share? I just with also anyone? want to join you in wishing everybody Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. And let's hope this pandemic is over in 2022. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> let's hope it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.